0: Welcome to the teaching ministry of Magnolias First. For more information, visit www.magnoliasfirst.org. My story began halfway around the world in Tokyo, Japan, where my parents were a part of the United States Army Occupation Force in 1950. Following my birth, my mother was furloughed home And just weeks later, my father was a part of the ill-prepared emergency resistance force that went into Korea when the communist North Koreans broke across the 38th parallel and invaded South Korea. He was killed on the battlefield just six weeks after I was born. My mother never recovered from his loss, Turning to alcohol in the last years of her life, she died when I was just nine years old. And though the loss of my parents was tragic, our sovereign God used it to put me in the home of my grandparents where my grandmother led me to faith in Christ at an early age and prayed intensely for me every day. And as a result of her influence and her prayers, I answered God's call to vocational Christian ministry when I was just 14 years old. God later blessed me with a a godly wife and partner in ministry, and Cindy and I have been serving the Lord together for almost 50 years this year. And Like you, I have had my struggle, (laughs) praise to the Lord. I've had my struggles and failures along the way, but God has been so good to me. He's blessed me with five children and 20 grandchildren and a wonderful church with whom to serve and worship and lead. Through putting my faith in Christ, the Lord not only gave me the gift of eternal life, but he gave me purpose in this life to help people know how to believe in jesus and how to live for him once they do i am truly a blessed man well that's my story in less than three minutes and there are many settings in which that kind of brief synopsis summary of our story is the appropriate version to share But my life story is so much more than just three minutes, and so is yours. And that's really what this sermon series is all about. Unashamed, the power of your story. And in this three-week series, we will look at the, the power of your story next week. And in the third week, it will be the presentation of your story. But today, to open the series, I want us to look together at the purpose of your story. And it addresses some of the most basic questions that you and I have in life. Who are you? And why are you here? It's my prayer that the Lord will help us to see that God is at work in every one of our stories for His purpose in ways that we never recognize or perhaps even imagined. So our big idea for today's message and really for the whole series is this. God wants to use your story to reveal his story. And I want to unpack that today. I want to begin with both a question and a statement. Here's the question. What is your story? You have one, you know. As a matter of fact, everyone's life is a story, but many people, perhaps most people, don't know how to read their life in a way that reveals their story. And I pray that this series will help us in that challenge. Now, I'm going to admit admit as we begin uh, today that the the depth and the breadth of this subject cannot be covered in a three-sermon series. It just can't. Uh, but if you are willing to let God speak to you on a deeper level about this, there are two books that I want to strongly encourage that you would read. And the titles will be up on the screen. The first is called To Be Told by Dr. Dan Allender. And the byline is this, God invites you to co-author your future. And this book is about how to know your story, how to tell your story, how to see God in your story, both of your past and through that to know how he wants you to be the co-author with him of the future part of your story, To Be Told by Dan Allender. The second book, and I strongly recommend it. I'll talk more about it later in the message. It's called Emotionally Healthy Spirituality by Pastor Peter Scazzaro. Uh, the, The basic premise of this book is you can't really be spiritually healthy until you're emotionally healthy. And there are some things in some of our past that are holding us back from being emotionally healthy. Maybe things we don't wanna look back on, things we don't even want to remember, but there are wounds that have never really healed. And this book, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, is a game changer in the lives of Christ followers. Our, Our pastoral staff has all been through this together. And I believe this book, along with two ministries of our church, our Life Touch Christian Counseling Ministry, which we make available with professional Christian counselors at a very minimal cost. Our church subsidizes it. That's available to any one member of the church or not. And then a new ministry uh, called Freedom Prayer, that uh, the Lord is using prayer warriors to pray over people with deep wounds that God would bring both truth and his spirit to heal. So I'll talk more about this book uh, uh, quickly later in the, the message, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. You know, atheists believe that our lives are nothing more than random chance, just a series of biological accidents that happen in our lives that make us who we are. But those of us who are Bible-believing Christ followers know that's not true, don't we? We know that we were created by God for His purpose. And I'm going to take you on a journey through Scripture today, but I want to start with Psalm 139, verse 13 and following. And I want you to hear the words of the psalmist as he talks to God about that time before he was even born and how God was already at work. Psalm 139, verse 13. You made all the delicate inner parts of my body and knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous. How well I know it. You watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion, as I was woven together in the dark of the womb. You saw me before I was even born, every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. How precious are your thoughts about me, O God. They cannot be numbered. I can't even count them. They outnumber the grains of sand. And when I wake up, you are still I want us to think this morning about the providence and sovereignty of God in every one of our lives. Uh, See this quote from Dr. Allender's book. God is not merely the creator of our life. He is also the author of our life, and he writes each person's life to reveal his divine story. Think about that. You are not an accident. You are not just uh, the product of a biological process. You were designed by God for his purpose. Paul understood this so well, and he said it this way in Ephesians 2.10. For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. Think about the meaning of that. You were created by God as you are for his purpose, to do good and godly things that he had planned for you before you were ever born, before you were even conceived in your mother's womb. And just as he created you with purpose, he has purpose planned for your life. I want us to understand our lives are not a series of random accidents. They're not. Everything that happens to us is either caused by God or created by God or allowed by God for his divine purpose. And as you look back on some of the painful things of your life, you you might wonder, well, does that mean God was the author of evil? God is never the author of evil. But God understands that we live in an evil world. Can I get an amen for that? We live in a fallen world where there is evil and suffering and injustice, and everything that has happened to you in your past did not catch God by surprise. He knew it would happen. And the beauty of the providence of God is that he wove his purpose in and out of those painful experiences to still unpack and reveal his glory and his purpose through you. Paul understood that. Uh, And as he was writing to the early church in Philippi, he was writing from prison. He was in prison in Rome, in a prison that was connected to the royal palace of Rome. He did not deserve to be there. He had been unjustly accused, and illegally imprisoned. And those early believers in Philippi were grieving for him and lamenting for him and conflicted for him because he did not deserve what happened to him. And so when Paul wrote to them in Philippians 1, he said, young brothers and sisters in Christ, here's what you need to understand about what God is doing, even though I am imprisoned. Philippians 1.12, he said, And I want you to know, my dear brothers and sisters, that everything that has happened to me here has helped to spread the good news. For everyone here, including the whole palace guard, knows that I am in chains because of Christ. And look at this, verse 14. And because of my imprisonment, most of the believers here have gained confidence and boldly speak God's message without fear. He was saying to the yo- those young believers, what has happened to me, has, is, it's not an accident. Our God ordained my imprisonment for his purpose so that I might be able to have the opportunity to witness for Christ near the seat of power in Rome itself, the very palace of the ruler over that nation. You see, Paul was able to look back on his life and see how God was at work even through the painful, unjust experiences. And that same issue is true for us. You won't be able to tell your story and to tell it well for God's glory until you're able to look back on your story and see God even in the pain To see God even in the injustice, to see God even in times of mistreatment, to know that God either sent it or He allowed it for His purpose. And not only will we not be able to tell the story of our past until we do that, we won't know how to move forward with God until then because we cannot fully join God in writing our story, the part that still remains until we understand our story. The greatest example of this that I can think of from Scripture is my favorite Old Testament character, Joseph. And if you know the story of Joseph, uh, he was the favorite son of his father. His father gave him as a a token of that what the King James Version of the Bible that many of us grew up on called the coat of Many Colors. And because he was the the father's favorite, his brothers were intensely jealous, and they decided they would just kill him. And so they threw him down in a well, and then they had a pang of conscience. They pulled him back up and instead sold him into slavery, thinking that would be the end of Joseph. He would surely die as a slave in Egypt. But the providence and purpose of God instead took him uh, to the home of a rich man in Egypt who... Uh, purchased him, and he rose to a position of leadership in his estate and was thriving until the man's wife falsely accused him of accosting her. And though he had done nothing wrong, he was thrown into prison where he languished there for two long years. And yet it was being placed in that prison that connected him with servants of Pharaoh, and God used that connection for him to... Meet Pharaoh and be elevated to a position of great leadership and power because he told Pharaoh about the famine that was coming and how his people could be saved. And so he is the second most powerful man in all of Egypt. Meanwhile, back home, his father and brothers are starving. And so his brothers come to Egypt to stand in front of this great powerful man having no idea... It's their brother who they sold into slavery years before. And in a very emotional scene, Joseph reveals his identity and terror grips those brothers because they understood what they had done to him was horrible and he now had the power to enact revenge on them, to take their lives. But Joseph understood that God had been at work in his life all along. And so, in Genesis chapter 50, verse 19, here's what Joseph says to his brothers. Don't be afraid of me. Am I God that I can punish you? And then, in one of the most profound verses in all the Bible, Genesis fifty twenty, here's what Joseph says. You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good. He brought me to this position so I could save the lives of many people. Do you understand what Joseph had come to know? That God had worked even through the injustices and the pain and the hardship of his past for God's purpose to be carried out and his glory to be revealed. Joseph came to understand something that we must come to understand, and that is God is at work in our story and he is in control. Listen, if there was ever a time that we need to understand this, it's in this pandemic crazy world we live in now. No matter what's going on, our God is in control. No matter what the pandemic does, our God is in control. No matter who wins the election, our God is in control. There is nothing that can thwart the purpose of our sovereign God. And Joseph came to understand those things were terrible. They did evil to me, but God intended it for good to carry out his purpose. So here's what I want us to see in this series. Our story is about more than just us. Your story is not just about you. It is about the impact God intends to have on others through our story. So, I want to tell you one more story. This one is in John chapter 4. You know it. In John chapter 4, Jesus has an encounter with a woman. And she's a woman with a past. She's done many things that nobody would be proud of. And yet, in John chapter 4, beginning in verse 13, we find Jesus in conversation with this woman at Jacob's well. Now, let me explain the the meaning of that. This was a community well that the people of the Samaritan village in which she lived would come to draw water. They didn't have running water like we do, so they had to go to the community well, draw water, take it back to their homes to use. And so there at that well, the very source of life-giving water for their people and for her, she's engaging Jesus in conversation. And so here's what Jesus says to her about living water in verse 13 of John 4. Jesus replied, anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again, meaning the water from Jacob's well. But those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh, bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. And of course, he's speaking of himself, the spiritual water, the living water. But she didn't yet understand. Verse 15, "'Please, sir,' the woman said, "'give me this water. Then I'll never be thirsty again, and I won't have to come here to get water.'" Then Jesus draws out her story. "'Go and get your husband,' Jesus told her. "'I don't have a husband,' the woman replied." Jesus said, you're right, you don't have a husband, for you have had five husbands, and you aren't even married to the man you're living with now. You certainly spoke the truth. Now, Jesus refers to the sin of her past. Jesus did not cause her to sin, just like Jesus did not cause the sin in my past. He did not cause the sin in your past. We made those sinful choices. Can I get a little amen there? We did it to ourselves. She did it to herself, but What I want you to see is that our sovereign, redeeming God chose to use even the sin of her past to be a part of her story that would reveal Him and the gospel. In verse 28, it says The woman left her water jar beside the well and ran back to the village, telling everyone, Come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could he possibly be the Messiah? So the people came streaming from the village to see him. As she no doubt recounted the story of her past again and again, and then finished it each time with the encounter with Jesus at the well and the story of living water, she was used by God to tell the gospel to the people in the community in which she lived. And look what God did with it. Verse 39. Many Samaritans from the village believed in Jesus because the woman had said, He told me everything I ever did. And the beauty of this story is first for us to understand God can even use the failures, the pain, the wounds of our past but then to also realize that he wants to heal those wounds. Whether we brought the pain on ourselves in whole or in part by our sin or our bad choices, as commonly referred to today, or there are things that happen to us and we have no guilt whatsoever, but pain came our way anyway, either way, God wants to heal his wounded children. Why? Because our story becomes more powerful as we allow our Heavenly Father to heal the inner wounds of our past. And I want to mention this book again, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. If there are things in your past that you don't want to talk about, that that you don't want to even think about, but the reality is there are things that have never been healed in your heart, this book can, can be used by God in such a powerful way. Emotionally healthy spirituality. I encourage you and urge you to read it. It's transformative. The reality is our Heavenly Father wants to heal His children. We must understand He is a perfect Father. He is a loving Father. We are His children children. He chose us. He pursued us. One more passage, Ephesians 1, 4, and 5. Look at this, the words of Paul. Even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. Now, don't miss the imagery of this next verse for you. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. Do you see that? You are his child, And he is at work in your life. He is at work in your story. And as a part of that, your perfect, loving Heavenly Father wants to heal the wounded parts of your heart. I want you to hear verse 4 again, this time from the Message Translation. Listen to every word. Long before he laid down earth's foundations, he had us in his mind. He had settled on us as the focus of his love. Isn't that powerful? He had settled on us as the focus of his love. Now, don't miss the last part. To be made whole and holy by his love. He wants to heal the broken, wounded parts of our heart to make us whole so that he can make us holy to reveal himself to others. For as we move past the hurt and heartbreak to healing and hope, the image of Christ emerges from our story for others to see. That's the purpose of your story. That is what God wants to do. He wants you to look back and see the river of your past and then join in the flow of he wants, what he wants to do in your future. And I pray that these three weeks will help us. So I leave you with these two challenges and then we're done. Number one, begin to look at your life as a story from which God can receive glory. It's not just about you. It's about what he wants to do in you and through you for others. Number two, as you better understand how God has written your story to this point, ask him to show you how to co-author the part of your story that is yet to be written. Because just as he was at work in your past, he's still at work in your present and he will be at work in your future because God wants to use your story to reveal his story. Let me pray for you. Oh, Lord, will you help us see that our lives are not random, accidental events. They are a part of a divine purpose, a story that you laid out before we were even conceived within the wombs of our mothers, and that you intend to use us for your glory. We give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a great week, everybody.